Before we begin, let's pray. Lord, that really is our prayer, that you would open our eyes, not just the eyes in our heads, but the eyes of our hearts. In this life, we, we will not see you with the eyes of our head. But there's a more important way we need to see. We need our souls to see your glory in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. For some people, for the first time, would you shine the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ? Please. And for those who know you, would you help us to see more clearly? We want to see you. To taste and see your goodness is what our souls need more than they need anything else. So do it, Lord. For your glory's sake, for our joy in your glory, please do it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we read the story, verses 1 through 34, of a man who's born blind. The Pharisees question the man. They bring him in, but they refuse to listen to him. They're asking him lots of questions, but they don't actually want to learn anything from this man. They refuse to believe that Jesus is good, and they refuse to believe that he's been sent from God. And so... They go so far as to kick this man out of the synagogue. That's what we saw in verse 34. It's how our text ended last week. Here's what's going on. By healing a man's physical blindness, Jesus is exposing the Pharisees' spiritual blindness. Their eyeballs work fine, but they cannot see the light of the world. They think they see so, so verse 41, which we just read, tells us that. They think that they have spiritual sight, and they don't need anything from God. But they don't see Jesus as the light of the world, which means they are blind. If you don't see Jesus as the treasure of the universe, you are spiritually blind. That's a challenge for you. I want you to think about you, your own soul. Do you see Jesus as your most precious possession? Do you see him as the most precious relationship you have? If you don't, you're blind. But he can heal you. There's hope in this passage. He can heal you. He wants to heal you. But you have to recognize your blindness first. And we'll see that in the text. You've got to recognize that you're blind. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to learn from the Pharisees what not to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about four ways to be blind. Okay, four ways that you can be blind. Now, 
the point of this is not so that you would want to be blind, but so that you would want to see, and you'd run to Jesus. And we talk to our kids like this. Hey, if you want to cut your finger off, keep playing with that knife right there. We don't, we don't want our kids to cut their fingers off. And we don't want them to keep playing with the knife. That's what we're going to do today. Listen, if you want to be blind, here are four ways to do it from the Pharisees. And the hope is you would not want it. I don't want you walking away from this sermon going, our pastor wants us to be blind, so here's four steps to do that. These are warnings. These are warnings so that you would run to Jesus. So here are four ways to be blind. The first and best way to show that you are spiritually blind and to increase your spiritual blindness is to act like you don't need Jesus to heal you. That's the best way. If you want to show that you are spiritually blind, you want to increase your blindness, act like you don't need Jesus to heal you. That's exactly what the Pharisees do. Let's look at verses 39 through 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So Jesus is judging the world. He's not condemning the world right now. We know that from John chapter 3, verse 17. That's not the kind of judgment he's doing now. Sending people to hell. But the way that you react to Jesus when you encounter him is a judgment on your life. So if you see Jesus and you humble yourself when you see him and you confess, I need you, he will heal you. But if you encounter Jesus and you reject him, you are simply confirming that you are dead spiritually and spiritually blind. That's what Jesus means here when he says he came for judgment. The way that you react to him is a judgment on your life. And there are only two options. Either he will heal you because you humble yourself before him, or you will confirm the hardness of your heart. That happens to everyone when they encounter him. We're going to see that more clearly in these verses. Now, verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard him say these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, follow this carefully. In the second half of verse 41, Jesus says, now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So the Pharisees say that they are healthy. They say that they have spiritual sight and they don't need Jesus. And Jesus says, because you say that we see, your guilt remains. Because they think they don't need Jesus because they think they don't need healing, because they think they see fine without him, they will not have their sins forgiven. That's what he means when he says your guilt remains. 
Because you think you don't need me, so you won't be forgiven. Which means, when Jesus says earlier, in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, what he means is, if you recognize that you're blind, if you recognize you need me, the light of the world, you'll have no guilt, because your guilt will be forgiven by me. That's what Jesus is saying. This is very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here's, here's Luke's version, Luke 5, 31 through 32. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. So if you're healthy, you don't need to go to the doctor. It's those who are sick who need a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, when Jesus says that, he doesn't mean, oh, the Pharisees are righteous, so they don't need me. What he means is, if you don't recognize that you're really sick, you're not going to go to the doctor. If you are unwilling to recognize that you're a sinner, you're not going to come to me for forgiveness. I'm a soul doctor. That's what Jesus is. You won't, so you will not, get any help from Jesus until you first recognize that you need a doctor for your soul. You won't have your sins forgiven until you first recognize that you can't see anything without him. So if you want to show that you are spiritually blind and you want to make sure that you never get your sins forgiven, then act like you don't need desperate saving from Jesus. Let me plead with you, church. This is me pleading. I'm begging you. Don't act like your sin is something less than it is. And the reason I'm pleading with you is because we live in a world that is geared, it is wired towards minimizing your sin. So the world would say, ease up, ease up. If you think you're a bad person, that's bad for your mental health. And you'll be sad. And God doesn't want you to be sad. So stop it. And so, a lot of self-help and therapy in this world, now parentheses, I love good counseling. Good counselors. By good counseling, I mean counseling that is rooted in reality. Counseling that sees the soul and the world as God sees it. That's good counseling. I believe in that, and I believe in medicine if your body needs it, okay? So hear me. But the world, the world's counseling, the world's advice for you, most of it, is asking you to spend your time blaming your parents, blaming your circumstances, blaming your chemicals for your unwillingness to do what God says. If you're unwilling to do what God says, your parents, your circumstances, your chemicals are not going to answer for that. They won't. 
No, I, I know in the church you can get some counsel that overemphasizes sin. But that's not the way this world is wired. This world is wired. It is built to keep you from blaming yourself for your sin. And I am pleading with you to blame yourself for your sin. Because, this is why it's important. Because Jesus is telling us, if you don't own your sin... If you don't own your sin, if you don't say, yeah, this is mine, I'm blind, then you will not receive his help. So, name it and claim it. And I don't mean like prosperity preachers. Think of some great future you want, name it, claim it, God's going to give it to you. That's nonsense. You should name your sin for what it is. Call it sin. And claim it. Own it as your own. That's how you get forgiveness and help. That's how you get it. You don't get it any other way. Do what Micah does. When was the last time you read the book of Micah? Micah, in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what Micah says. Micah says, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Do you hear that? That's a confession of guilt. He's owning it. He's saying, I'm being disciplined by God, and I'm owning it. It's because I sinned. I did wrong. Now listen what he does after he owns his sin. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. So the way you get help, the way you get forgiveness, and the way you get joy as a sinner in light of your sin is not by hiding it, but by boldly confessing it to God. Call it what it is. Say, I sinned, and I sinned in an awful way, a terrible way. But I know, God, I know that you are my hope for forgiveness in Jesus and health and sight and joy. That's the only way you'll be healed. It's my pleading with you to own your sin. That's how you get it. That's how you get healing. If you want to be blind, act like you don't need it. Like you don't need healing or forgiveness. Or at least act like your sin is very, very small. Maybe I'm blind, but it's more like I'm colorblind. Really blind. That's what the Pharisees do. Here's the second way to be blind. Live your life thinking that you are better than other people. 
Live your life thinking you're better than those around you. Now this is related to the last point because if you think you don't need help from Jesus, guess what? You're going to look down on everyone else who does. If you don't recognize how bad you are without him, you will live your life feeling superior to others. And that's blindness. Look back at the story we read last week. So, so in verse 28, they're questioning this man who was healed, and it says they revile him. This is verse 28. They reviled him saying, you are Jesus' disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. So they reviled him. That means they looked down on him and they abused him. They did not look at this man like he was their equal. That's just clear when you read through the passage. They think this man is way beneath them. We see that more, more clearly in verse 34. When, when the healed man tries to explain that Jesus is doing miracles by the power of God, look at what they say in verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. See so you hear what they're saying? You're a nasty little sinner. Are you kidding? From down there, you're going to try to teach us healthy, wise, righteous Pharisees? Get out of here. Now, most of us don't talk like that. I hope you don't talk like that. But we do think like that. When someone corrects you or tries to critique you, do you belittle them? Do you make them smaller in your mind? Think carefully here. Do you call people names? Either in your own head or out loud? Do you call them names? Do you know when you call somebody a name? Like, you idiot. Even if it's in your head. You know what you're doing? You're making them smaller than you. So that you can look down on them. How about this one? I cannot believe that dad just tried to talk to me about my kid's bad behavior. I'm like, way better dad than he is. You know what happened? Make him small. It's blindness. It's being like a Pharisee. Here's another way we do it. Have you ever noticed that someone is better than you at something? So you, you, the first thing you do is you notice, wow, they're really good at that. And so the next thing you do is think of something that you are better at than them, right? Wow, she's really good at hospitality. That was amazing. But, I mean, I share the gospel way more than she does. It's blindness. When you compare yourself to other people, you are being blind and you're increasing your spiritual blindness because all of us are in total need of God's grace. Total need. Your hope of standing happy and blameless in the presence of God someday is not because you are better than other people. 
That's not your hope. We're wired to think it is. I'm going to stand before God happy and blameless because I'm better than all those other people. Maybe there are a few people better than me, but I'm better than most people. That is not how you get to stand before God happy and blameless. Your hope of standing before him is that Jesus Christ freely loves you. And he will give you the gift of forgiveness and righteousness that he alone earns for you. That's your only hope. And if you grab onto that as your only hope, you will stand before God happy and blameless someday. So recognize how desperately you need him. Recognize that you are not on your own spiritually less dead or blind than the people around you. Really, without Jesus, you are not less spiritually dead or less spiritually blind than the worst sinner. If you recognize that and come to Jesus, God will heal you and he'll increase your spiritual sight. Here's the third way to be blind. Care more about what people think about you than you care about the truth. If you want to be blind, start to care about what people think you, or keep caring what people think about you more than you care about the truth. So we don't just notice spiritual blindness in the Pharisees in this story. It's also in the healed man's parents. I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. So the Jews, they did not believe that this man had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his, bl- his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is sad, isn't it? This guy was born blind. We talked about how awful this would be last week. He's never seen a color. Never got to play with other kids. We find out from this passage he's a beggar. Everyone thinks he's an awful sinner. And in his moment of need, his parents won't stand up for him. They know that Jesus healed their son. And they won't say it because... John tells us in verse 22, they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is where you worshiped God when you were not at the temple. So you wouldn't travel to the temple every Saturday. So your local place of worship, the local place where you would receive teaching, the local place where you would worship God was the synagogue And because they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue, they care more about what the Pharisees think about them than they do about the truth. 
their son will not make the same mistake that they do. He will tell the truth, he will get kicked out of the synagogue, and he will receive a priceless gift. His parents will not. They will get to stay in the synagogue, but they don't get to see Jesus. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. That's Luke 6, 26. If you do what you do only to make other people happy, instead of loving the truth and caring what God thinks about you, Jesus says, woe to you. Woe means danger. Sadness is coming your way. That's what Jesus says, if all men speak well of you. So people may like you. They may speak well of you. You may advance in the business world. All the important people might invite you into their circles. You get to stay in the synagogue. But you will not see the light of the world. That is a wasted life. That's a disaster. But if you commit to seeking God's honor and living for the truth, no matter the worldly cost, you'll see Jesus and you'll be satisfied. Here's a fourth way to be blind. Use the Bible to affirm who you already are rather than to challenge who you are in order to change. So if you want, you want to be blind, just use this book to affirm who you already are. Don't come to this book to challenge you or to change you. Look at verses 28 through 29. The Pharisees reviled the man, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. So the first five books of the Bible are called the books of Moses because Moses is the primary author of the first five books of the Bible. Moses stands large in the Old Testament. He's a big figure in the Old Testament. He receives the old covenant law from God and that's what the people in the Old Testament live under. They live under the law of Moses. The rest of the Old Testament is prophecies to these people, the history of these people, the worship of these people under the law of Moses. So, the Pharisees are saying, we're disciples of Moses. We listen to this book. That's what they're saying. They're talking about the Old Testament. This is really interesting because they don't actually reflect the kind of humility that God and Moses call us to in the Old Testament. They don't think they need a savior. We saw that in verse 41. They think they are better than other sinners. We saw that in verse 34. They've agreed that they're going to kick 
anyone who claims that Jesus is the Christ out of the synagogue, even though Jesus keeps doing the things that the Old Testament said the Christ would do when he showed up. And yet they claim to be disciples of this book. This book told them the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51. And yet these men think everyone else is broken except for them. They refuse to humble their hearts and confess that they're broken even though God has told them that he looks only to those who are contrite and humble in spirit. That's Isaiah 66. They won't do it. Moses told them in this book, in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, you can look it up. Moses told them, he told the people of Israel, listen, you guys, your hearts are bad. You need new hearts, all of you. And then you just keep reading the Old Testament. Ezekiel and Jeremiah say, yeah, that's right. The problem is not that you don't have the law. The problem is that you're sinners who need your hearts changed. And someday I'm going to send a Savior who will change your hearts. But they won't recognize their sinfulness. I mean, this book promised that a Savior would come who would be crushed for our iniquities. And they don't think they need one. They didn't listen to any of it. Get this. This is really important. They read Moses. They read the Old Testament and they read it a lot. They knew their Old Testaments well in their heads. But when they read it, they read it only to affirm who they already were. They came to this book to feel good about who they already were. They wanted to make themselves feel holy and powerful and better than other people. And that's what they use this book for. That's not what the Bible is for. The Bible is meant to confront you. The things you do and who you are deep down. That's what the Bible's meant to do on you. It's meant to help you see your failures, your guilt, and your weakness. Not just to make you feel bad, but so that you run to Jesus who is sinless, who heals the broken and humble and contrite and needy. That's the point. That's hopeful, isn't it? That's hopeful. You just come to the Bible to feel terrible about yourself, but it's so that you can see who you really are and then see who God really is in meeting all your needs. I hope you come to the Bible like that. You don't read it to make yourselves feel good about who you are already. You feel better than other people. The Pharisees didn't want a savior. So that's not how they read this book. 
Do you want to change? I hope you do. If you don't want to change, this sermon can't help you. This Bible won't help you. Jesus won't help you. But if you do want to change, we have the best news in the world. This book means for you to come with it, come to it with humility so that you can enjoy the light of the world and be changed. I hope you approach the Bible like that. I hope tomorrow morning you wake up and you say, oh God, I want to see how Jesus will be for me what I need. And please change me. I hope you want to change. I want to change. I need it. I need it. And I know you do. Here's what you will have. If instead of pursuing more blindness, you respond in humility and fall before Jesus to help you, the first thing you'll have is forgiveness. When Jesus says in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say, we see your guilt remains, he's letting us know if we confess our blindness and stop pretending that we can see and we don't need him because we can deal with our sin ourselves. If we stop doing that, we will have forgiveness forever. This is what Jesus came to do. It's what he came to do. He's the perfect man. If you don't know the gospel, listen in. If you don't know what makes a Christian a Christian, listen up. If you do, enjoy it. Jesus is the perfect man. He's fully God and has all the worth of God in himself. He lived a perfect life because no one else ever has. So that he could go hang on a cross under the wrath of God and be punished in your place. That's his gift to you if you will receive him. And his righteous life, if you trust him, if you say, yeah, I need someone to die for me. I need someone to heal my blindness. I need my sins forgiven. He'll give it to you for free. And his righteous life will be counted towards your account. You'll be forgiven and you'll get to live with him forever. You will have forgiveness. And you will have, from this text, worship. Look at what happens from verse 34 to verse 38. The Pharisees answered the man, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. Which means he is not allowed to worship with them anymore. To be cut off from the synagogue meant you're an outsider. You cannot worship the one true God with the people of God anymore. 
That's what his parents are afraid of. But look what this man gets in return. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. That's awesome. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And now he sees not just with his eyes, but with his soul. And he worshiped him. The Jews would have understood. You get kicked out of the synagogue, no worship for you. That's what the Pharisees are saying. No worship for you anymore. Not so fast, Pharisees. Because he trusts in Jesus, because he humbly listens to Jesus, and because he believes, by the end of verse 38, he's the only person in this story who is worshiping. Not the parents, not the Pharisees staying in their unbelieving synagogue, but this man, Jesus gives him worship, soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching worship. Do you see? If you are blind and proud, and you're not willing to see your own sin and weakness, if you're, you're afraid of what people think about you more than you care about the truth, and if you use the Bible to puff yourself up over others, you might be a part of the cool kids club. You might be very successful in this world, but you won't have Jesus. You can't. But if you humble yourself and come to him, if you confess your blindness and your need for forgiveness for a savior, he will meet you as the light of the world. He will forgive you and he will satisfy your soul forever with real, lasting, thirst-quenching worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, the light of the world, to blind people. None of us can see the truth. None of us can treasure you like we ought to without your son. I pray that you would make us a room full of humble people. That we wouldn't hide our sin. We would be ready to confess it. We would be ready to own it because we know you can heal it. You didn't come for the righteous. You didn't come for those who hide their sins. You came for the needy, the sinners. And so we then boldly confess our sin against you, trusting 
that you alone heal. You give light to our souls, forgiveness, and worship. Increase our worship, please, God. Right now, and on and on. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.